Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. I love that. He is not here, but is risen. Then they said, remember. This shouldn't be a shock. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, foolishness, and they did not believe them. But Peter, I don't know why, I just love that, but Peter, arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Let's pray. Holy God, we... Again, thank you for, Lord, this resurrection day of worship. And as been repeated so many times, every Lord's Day is a resurrection Sunday. We commemorate, we worship a living Savior. Lord, open your word to us. Take perhaps things that are familiar that we hear and we know. But by your spirit, make it fresh to our hearts. We thank you for the record of your resurrection. We thank you for the testimony of witnesses. We thank you for the faith that we consider as an anchor to our soul. For without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. We have no faith. This is the very cornerstone, Lord, of what we believe and what sets our belief apart from other beliefs that Jesus is alive. And so, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to talk about the emptiness of Easter. The emptiness of Easter. I'm sure if you're like me, you have at times uh, been in situations where somebody or some group or whatever whatever did not fulfill maybe something they promised you. Maybe you signed a contract to have certain things done or you bought something and they assured you, promised you that this would last for 10 years and it might have lasted for 10 weeks. Uh, we all have been given promises that were unfulfilled. 
promises that we banked on maybe. Maybe we took financial losses, but only to discover that the promises were empty. Well, aren't you glad that the promises of God are not empty? That what God said he would do, what God has promised in his word, Peter reminds us that he has given us very great and precious promises. And this morning, we wanted to look at and be reminded of the promises concerning the resurrection and Easter, to be reminded again and refreshed again. Sometimes we become familiar with things that we've grown and we've heard. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, it is sometimes a challenge every year when it comes Christmas and Easter, you're back at the same spot talking about the same things. And you're, you're like, Lord, how, how can I say this fresh? How can I do? And the Lord just says, you just don't do anything. You just, you just let the Word do the work. Amen? And I, I was reminded and comforted with the children of Israel how things like the Passover celebration and the feast, how they year after year reminded uh, themselves of the great truths of God's redemption, of his redemption and the exodus, how those things were, were perpetual every year as reminders. And so this morning, as we are reminded, perhaps those who have been believers for some time, let it be fresh to us and never just take it for granted that a man who was killed was buried for three days and walked out. That should still cause us to say, the Greek word, wow. Because if that did not happen, to paraphrase Paul, we are the most foolish of all people. The silly belief that a man came out of a grave and is alive. But that's, that's the very cornerstone, again, of why we are here today, why we believe, why we trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Thank God for His promises. This morning, I want us to look at three, three considerations from Luke's gospel. And, uh, and I'm going to back up a little bit uh, to chapter 23 if you have your Bibles. It won't be, uh, we didn't read that. But uh, notice with me, first of all, we're talking about the emptiness of Easter, the emptiness of the cross. Chapter 23, verse 53, says that when he took it down, then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever laid before. And the context there in chapter 23, 53, was that a man by the name of Joseph from Arimathea, uh, he was a member of the council. It says he was a good and righteous man, but he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, and he was given the body of Jesus, and they took the body of Jesus down. And, and what I want you to see when we're using that word emptiness, that in the emptiness of Easter, God has filled us with great and precious promises and truths of his gospel. And the emptiness of the cross reminds us of this one thing, Jesus Christ died. Jesus died. They took him off of the cross, uh, crucified victims, which was a horrendous Roman form of capital punishment, one of the cruelest forms 
of capital punishment. Oftentimes, they would leave the body there for days. And it was usually as a witness of, you mess with us, you cross us, and this is what happens. They didn't put the bodies off in some corner in the back part of the town. They put it right in the thoroughfare of where people uh, traveled so that people would know that if you mess with us, you cross our government, you challenge the authority of who Caesar is, this could happen to you. I don't know about you, but that would, that would get my attention. I mean, imagine driving down 98, you're going to Zaxby's, and you pass by a few bodies hanging from the telephone poles. Would that kind of impress you a little bit? Now, I mean, we, we think of that as odd, but that's the culture and the mindset uh, of this day, of where Jesus is. But be reminded that, that Jesus actually died. John tells us that uh, because the Jews were so anxious to make sure this murder was done before sundown of the Sabbath and before the Passover celebration, that they requested, as was common, that his legs be broken to hasten death because they wanted him to die. They wanted to hurry it along. They didn't want him lingering on the cross after sundown on Friday. They wanted to get this thing wrapped up and put away before the Sabbath. But it was not necessary because he had already died. Pilate, as I mentioned there in verse of chapter 23, he allowed this man named Joseph to take the body down. He gave the body, allowed him to take it and to provide a burial that he had, Joseph had owned and take the body and put Jesus in. And that reminds us that, jo, uh, that the Romans recognized that Jesus had physically died. And the reason I point that out is because if Jesus had not died, then we would still be in our sins. We had a tremendous Good Friday service this past Friday. And traditionally on that Friday when we gather together, we are gathering to remember and consider the crucifixion, the death of Christ. And even though Jesus was beaten and he was wounded and he was nailed to the cross, had he not died, had he not been sacrificed, then we would still be lost in our sins without the death of Christ. He was the Lamb of God given to take away the sin of the world. Paul would say that Christ is our Passover, kind of putting back the reflection of the, the Passover, the lamb that was to be slain and sacrificed, that's what Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. He is the lamb of God who died, the lamb given, as Peter would say in 1 Peter 1, without blemish, that while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus physically died. He demonstrates his love that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet unclean, the clean for the unclean, Jesus died, and we have been reconciled by his death. The emptiness of the cross is a stark reminder that without the crucifixion of Christ, 
we are still in our sins. The apostles understood this in the message they preached in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when they said that there is no salvation other than Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, and that is the name of Christ. A lot of people died on the cross. Just dying on two uh, cross beams of lumber in and of itself didn't do anything. It was who died on the cross. It was this one who was the Lamb of God who died. And without an empty cross, if he is still there, figuratively speaking, we're in trouble. There's no resurrection without death. Jesus said, it is finished. It is completed. The work, remember he prayed in that uh, prayer in uh, John where he says to the Father as he prays that high priestly prayer, he says, the work that you have given to me, remember what he said? I have completed it. I have finished it. And when he said finished, the word in the Greek means paid in full. It was what was stamped on a bill of sale when you paid it. And the Greek word tetelestai means paid in full. You owe nothing. Jesus said that word paid in full. What was paid? The sacrifice, the Christ who died, the Messiah. You see, before Good Friday, God had your name listed as a sinner but when Jesus died, he noted that now the provision of a full payment for my sin and your sin was available. So what is our part? What do we bring? We don't bring anything. We bring our sin. You don't bring your good works. You don't bring your uh, confirmation as a, as a baby. You don't bring the fact that you always come to church on uh, Christmas and Easter. God is not per impressed by anything we do. And certainly there is nothing that we gain or we earn to somehow make God respond to us. No, we come as broken, unclean sinners to receive what Ephesians 2 says is the gift of salvation, which is by grace, through faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, not of works, not of something we've done, but says it is the gift of God. So the difference now, Jesus has made full payment, he has completed, he has paid it in full, the question is this morning is whether you will receive the gift, whether you will appropriate the payment that Christ has provided. So the emptiness of Easter begins with the emptiness of the cross. But notice secondly, in chapter 24, verse 3, is the emptiness of the tomb. It says that they went in, the women, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Why were they going there? They were going to prepare the body, and, you know, and to, uh, and to, and, and so when they got there, they were fully expecting to see a human corpse in that tomb, in that grave. But as they approach, the Bible says there was two issues that were going on there. And first of all, that we understand by other the gospel accounts is that when they got there is that the soldiers were unconscious. Now, that's going to come into play a little later when they have to defend why they allowed the number one criminal in Israel of that day and his secure burial, how they let that get away. 
And they also were perplexed of how they were going to remove or move the stone. But when they got there, we read earlier how they went in and saw that the body, fully expecting to see a body, was gone. Does that amaze you? I, have to, I just have to let that sink in, the fact that they went grieving, and that was not what they expected. Don't you love God loves to break our expectations? Huh? Now, we say this from time to time and remind ourselves, and some of you may uh, not remember this or know this, but there's lots of people, lots of theories concerning how Je- whether Jesus was not truly resurrected. You need to hear that some people don't all believe, right, that Jesus bodily raised from the dead. Is that a shock to you? You may be here this morning, and you may say, well, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, you know, it's a nice little fairy tale, kind of like Santa, you know, but I don't really believe it, believe it. I always remember the little girl in Sunday school was asked the question by her teacher, uh, what is faith? And the little girl said, I know what faith is. Faith is believing in things you know aren't true. That's not faith. Hebrews says that our faith has substance to it, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's, it's, it's what we trust in. And so a good word, faith doesn't work for you. Trust really communicates the same thing. We trust in faith. We trust in Christ. We trust in what has been accomplished. But there's several theories. I, I find these, some of these interesting. And, and again, some of these I know we, we talk about every Easter. But there are those who believe that Jesus did not... It was not really supernatural, but there's a, there's a logical explanation that Jesus, once he was put into that damp tomb and his body was able to rest, that he was revived and got up and walked out. Now, there's lots of problems with that. I mean, the man was beaten almost to death lost who knows how many pints of blood in the process. And then Pilate, do you think Pilate would allow him to be taken down if there was any question that the man actually was dead? You see, now Pilate, he had no dog in this fight. He was not a religious man. You know what he was interested in? He just wanted people to behave. Because if they behaved... They tax their money to Rome, and his job, in fact, the fact that he is in Jerusalem, rather than normally where he is at in Caesarea, is because of the amount of people that are coming into Jerusalem for the Passover, and he wants to make sure that there's no riots, there's no trouble, because his job is on the line. So do you think that he would in any way, and people around him, would allow a body to be taken down and declared dead and give it to somebody to be buried if there was any doubt that the man, his pulse stopped, his heart stopped. He was dead. So think about how he would revive himself. He's he's wrapped tightly. The Bible says in John 19, it took two people to wrap his body tightly. And not only that, But in John 19, it says that Nicodemus, Joseph was called a secret disciple, and Nicodemus, we see, also is a believer, and Nicodemus himself provides 
75 pounds of myrrh and aloe that in Jewish tradition was given to anoint the body. So here a man has been beaten practically to death, lost massive amounts of blood, wrapped in in a burial sheets tightly with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe on his body, and he wakes up and walks out. And not even to say that somehow in that condition, he's able to to move the large stone that's over the entrance. Now, my friend, if you buy into that, I commend you because you have way more faith than I do. Then there are others that say, well, the Jewish authorities that had him killed, they removed the body. But that's foolishness too. Because when you read Acts, what is the very thing they are attempting and wanting to do? They want to crush this Christian cult that is challenging their authority, their popularity. So if they had the body... And they, wanted to get, and they wanted to just end this thing once and for all, what would they have to do? Just produce the body. Because you had these Christians going around saying that he's risen from the dead, and wouldn't they have just loved to drag his body out and say, oh, really? And that would have been all you would have heard. Now, this one is, is interesting, that the disciples succeeded in stealing the body while the guards slept. Somehow, they were to sneak past the elite Roman guards, remove and move away the large stone in front of the the tomb without waking anybody up, and go in there and steal the body while these guards slept. Just the way the disciples or the apostles died, the fact that they were beaten, many of them were beaten and persecuted and tortured to death, just does not make human sense that they would give and die for something they know is a big lie. just defies human reasoning to do that. The truth is, is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. The emptiness of the tomb declares to us his triumph over death and the grave for all who would receive him. Jesus Christ, he's alive. There's no other way around it. His payment, his resurrection. I like the, the story of a father and son who were traveling on a country road in the car on a beautiful spring afternoon and a bee flew into the, the car the window that was open, and the little boy who was deathly allergic to bee stings began to panic, and seeing the horror in the child's eyes, the dad, as a good dad would, would do, caught the bee in his hands, and a few moments later opened his hand, and the bee began to buzz again, and the little boy began to panic, and the father let the bee go out the window, threw him out the window, but he opened his hand and says, it's okay, the bee can't hurt you. And he opened his hand, and in his hand was the stinger from that bee. The father said, relax, I took the sting. The bee cannot hurt you anymore. The Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God 
which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To those who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, death, because of that empty tomb, death has lost its sting. And Jesus invites us into a relationship who has taken away the fear of death. He says, I am that way. I am the resurrection. I am the life. That I took the sting of death so you would not have to. But there's a third part, and that's the emptiness of the grave clothes. Chapter 24, verse 12. The Bible says, But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Look at John 20. I believe we'll have that on the screen. It says, Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple, who we know as John the Apostle. I guess he was in better shape than Peter because it says he outran Peter. And what it says? He outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, but yet he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter caught up and came and following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, do you think if somehow they were involved in taking the body and scurrying that body, do you think they would take the time to fold up? (laughs) Huh? These are a bunch of men. They're not going to do that, all right? Just, I mean, just get that out there, right? I don't know why I always loved that, that they were just folded up. It was just kind of another little way of just saying, I don't know, I don't know. I, can't, I don't have any real revelation for you on that. I just find that the fact that they folded up, put it all neatly, they're like, he doesn't need these anymore. You can have them back. He won't need burial clothes. And the other disciple who came to the tomb first, John. Then he went in, he saw, and he believed. You see, the emptiness of the cross, the emptiness of the tomb, and now the emptiness of the burial clothes mean, means one thing, and that's why we are talking about and singing and celebrating is the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He's not buried in a tomb. Uh, Moses is buried somewhere. God took care of that. We don't know where that is, but God buried Moses He buried, uh, well, he didn't bury, but um, Buddha is buried somewhere. Muhammad is buried somewhere. They all have graves. Joseph Smith is buried somewhere. Lenin, they've got him in some kind of wax form, still trying to look at his body. Stalin, all the ones that even, you know, who knows where Hitler, his corpse or the ashes are. The point is, there's only one grave that's emptied. And that's Jesus and Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing. That's why we celebrate. 
Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to Mary Magdalene and all the disciples. And eventually the Bible says that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And the reason that that's important is because there are those that say, well, the trauma of his followers was so great that they obviously hallucinated that they saw him. But I don't know how you get 500 people to hallucinate the same thing at the same time. That what relationship and fellowship they enjoyed prior to his death, they now have again. What would motivate these apostles, these followers, to be so bold, to be so confident? Remember how 1 John begins? He says, we write, we testify to that which we've seen with our own eyes, which we've heard, which we've touched, which we've handled. You are not going to convince us that this did not happen. Imagine this afternoon, somebody tries to convince you, you were not here this morning. I know it's here. I can tell you the people that were sitting around me. I can tell you the song. I mean, no, 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 no. It didn't happen. You say, no, I shook this person's hand. I heard their voice. I smelled the perfume. I, I know I was there. You can't convince these guys because it really took place. Those are credible witnesses. It's interesting how when they were trying to disprove the resurrection, they took the testimony of the supposed guards that were guarding the tomb. How, how in the history of jurisprudence, how reliable is the testimony of witnesses who were sleeping while the crime was perpetuated? Huh? That wouldn't happen. There's a lot of things that wouldn't normally happen. The emptiness of the burial clothes gives us the hope that we have and can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The empty cross, the empty tomb, and the empty burial clothes. And when you think about it, what Jesus has come, his life, his death, his resurrection, God has invaded our emptiness. To those of us who are Christians, who are followers of Christ, do you remember, I can, do you remember a time when there was the emptiness and the void in your life? This morning, we have sung and worshipped. But this worship time, this worship service, everything that we've done and are talking about would be a waste if we did not make this opportunity as a time of responding to the offer and the gift that is given to us in Christ. You may know about him like you know about 
George Washington. You know historically he was a real historical person and know about Abraham Lincoln and you know, you know about him, but do you know him? Do you have that secure confidence that I belong to Christ and that Christ belongs to me? That the empty cross and the death that he died and the resurrection was for me. That he died for the ungodly. He died for Tim Campbell. And not just for me, but he gave his life for all, the Bible says, that would come to him in faith. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And right before that, he said that the enemy, the devil, believe it or not, Jesus talks about a devil. He talks about hell. So if you've got an issue with the devil and hell, you've got an issue with what Jesus knew and understood and what he taught. He said, Satan comes to kill, rob, and destroy. And some of us have witnessed Satan's destruction in our families, in our lives, and even in our own personal life, right? But Jesus says, but I have come that you would have life, and life more abundantly. It's interesting that today, besides being Easter Sunday, is also what? April Fool's Day, right? Without being sacrilegious or disrespectful, the greatest prank of all humanity God played on Satan and the enemies of Christ. They thought he was dead. Finis, namas, done. He was raised from the dead. The Bible says that the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. The Bible calls such that disbelieve fools. I am a fool for Christ. If that's a fool, then I want to be, I'm a fool for Christ because I believe all of this. I believe all of this. And I love the, when I thought about this this morning, I was reminded of something Jim Elliott said. A man or a woman is no fool who gives up that which should say they cannot keep in order to gain that which they cannot lose. Did you catch that? A man or a woman is no fool to give up that which they cannot hope to keep to receive what they can never lose. So on this Resurrection Sunday, our culture says April Fool's Day, God wins. God triumphed over death, hell, and the enemies because Jesus Christ was alive then and he's alive now. 
And when we pray and when we talk to God, Jesus, through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of the believer, dwells inside of us, and he has said, greater work shall you do because you are now commissioned to fulfill the work that I've given you to do, to go into all this world and tell them about this gospel of resurrection.